Mr. Sensational Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, coming to you with episode 44 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And folks, I am coming to you today on this Tuesday, June 8th, as I record this, whatever it is, whenever it is, when you're listening to this, in an extremely, extremely jubilant mood. And I'll tell you why. Part of it is because our esteemed editor-in-chief, the head honcho here at the IC Robots Radio Network, IC Robots himself, has returned from a very brief hiatus as uh, his pandemic-era programming came to an end. First, the stuck-at-home stuck show wound down. Then the short-lived IC Robots Trying to Get Vaccinated show came to its logical conclusion, um, after the pandemic programming ended, he took a short time off to regroup, reestablish his firm foundation, and establish that foundation he has, and he is back with the world's famous Icy Robots show, which is now in its proper place as the crown jewel, the uh, peak of all peaks and freak physiques, the flagship show here at the network, um... We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but that's one reason for jubilation. Another reason, though, is, folks, literally a handful, a tens of tens minutes ago, Mr. Sensational was not in a jubilant place that you hear him now. He was, in fact, in a much lower place, contemplating ending it all, throwing himself off the Main Street Bridge here in Napa. No, just doing a bit, folks. Please don't call. 911 um, or anything. I'm, I'm just fine. But I, I was most certainly not jubilant a mere half hour or so ago. As it appeared that, um, I guess if, if you've listened to this show at all within the last few weeks, last few episodes, you'll be familiar with the fact that we, the Sensational family, are attempting to sell our uh, former home, the former Sensational Manor in Santa Rosa, California, We've been trying to sell it for some months now. We're actually on our one, two, three, fourth, fourth prospective buyer. And things were humming along quite well with this fourth prospective buyer. Um, we had jumped through most of the hurdles uh, needed to get to to get to the close of a home sale. One last little nagging thing, the home needed to be appraised. And these home appraisals seem to be a total scam, a total gimmick among uh, lenders and, and appraisal companies because our home has already been appraised um, multiple times now in this process, within all within the last couple of months. And I can't see how anything would have changed from those prior appraisals. But um, the home does need to be appraised once more um, for this particular go-around, this particular lender. And it was uh, one of the last things we were waiting for. But because of the craze of the real estate market currently, um, it's kind of hard to get appraisals on demand. So this has happened now so far with basically all the prospective buyers so far is that they find that they cannot get an appraisal out on the property in time to meet the uh, timeline requirements 
of the 30-day escrow period, so they asked for like a week extension on the escrow. And that's what had happened this time. And so the house was supposed to be appraised. That was supposed to all be done. I think Memorial Day, that Monday, was the deadline. And they had asked for an extension. Extension was granted because, hey, we want to sell the house, and that's kind of what we're going to have to do to get to the finish line. Um, but all of last week passed, and we didn't hear anything. And then yesterday was Monday, and it was a week since they'd asked for the extension, and we hadn't heard anything about even if an appraiser had been scheduled. So we checked in with our realtor, and she said she had actually tried contacting their agent earlier that day to find out what was up, and she heard nothing back. And she was going to let us know once she did. And an hour passed, and another hour passed, and another hour passed, and another hour passed. And suddenly it had been 24 hours, and we'd heard nothing. And just now, at the 24-hour mark, my wife, Ms. Sensational and I, were out doing our daily walk, our daily 45-minute-to-an-hour constitutional um, to, uh, if for those of you who have listened to, um, the, uh, world's famous IC robots, uh, show the first episode, our own little, uh, contribution to our own attempt that, uh, we built this city, we built this city on getting swole, dun, 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 okay, well, enough of that, um, how do, something, na, 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 na. I can't believe I can't remember the words. I used to know that song pretty well, but it escapes me now. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so we were on our uh, daily constitutional, and uh, we had checked in like, hey, uh, any updates? It's been 24 hours, and our realtor texted us back. I just called and emailed again. Nothing, and I haven't heard from an appraiser. And in the three previous sale attempts so far, this is where things go off the rails. The other side gets silent, and then within a day or two, the sale's off the table. It's not happening. Back to the drawing board. Back to shelling out insane amounts of money to uh, cover a mortgage on a home that you're not living in. Uh, money that we do not exactly have that just eats in to the home sale if it were to ever actually happen. So we're on this walk and I'm just like feeling like I'm about to have a heart attack. You know, chest pains kicking in, back pains kicking in, arms tingling. But I've realized lately, um, this has been like kind of the, the middle-aged manifestation of, of stress and anxiety. I used to be more of a psychological stressor. I would go on these flights of fancy, of uh, distorted, um, catastrophic thinking. And I've kind of got that under control, but now my body responds to this kind of stress instead. And I realized like for the last 24 hours, because this has been stressful, my body had been kind of building this stress to this fake faux heart attack state it gets in. And I have to imagine, you know, now that the pandemic's over, I really do need to go... Um, see a doc and just get a, get a tune up, get a once over. But, uh, I've been having these kind of like fake heart attack symptoms for several years now. And I figure I probably would have been dead already if it was an actual real cardiac, uh, incident. I, I, I do feel it is stress related, but the stress was high. And, uh, by the end of our walk, as we were standing on this bridge on main street, Napa over the river, the phone rang and it was our real tour. And this is not a good sign because she'll text with you up until there's bad news and bad news she always conveys with a personal phone call. So Miss Sensational and I looked at each other and was like, well, this sale's over. And Ms. Sensational answered the phone, put it on speaker, but it turns out, it turns out that the prospective buyer's agent is on vacation. And she didn't bother to notify our agent, and that's why she was being non-responsive. And in fact, in fact, an appraisal has been scheduled for Thursday with a 48-hour turnaround. So everything is still on track. I felt the heart attack leave my body. 
um, like the reverse, the, the reverse of being descended on by the Holy Spirit. I found felt the heart attack spirit ascend from my body back out into the ether, uh, maybe to malevolently descend upon some other stressed out individual out in the world. But anyway, that, folks, is why I'm feeling jubilant today, because this house might finally actually sell and I can get on with my life, and we will never again have to address this topic on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. With that out of the way, folks, I do want to uh, just circle back to the IC Robots world's famous show. Please check it out if you have not so far. Please go directly to Apple Music, Spotify, Google, whatever, any platform that you receive your podcast from. If you are listening to this, go to the plot. Oh, God, that term gives me such a hard time. Go to the podcast platform of your choice of your personal preference, your personally preferred podcast platform, go there without delay. Look up IC Robots or IC Robots Radio. You will find the feed for this great network. You will get automatic content to... You will automatically receive every bit of content that comes down the pike, easy for me to say. You will be in the loop. You will miss nothing. Um, and you will be um, on board with, you'll be able to jump in on the ground floor with the world's famous show, which has just started with episode one. It is the best of pandemic era IC Robots flagship content melded with the best of the pre-pandemic era. We've got um, old favorites back like the Jupiter moon base, um, the whole storyline revolving around IC Robots time spent there. Um, but we've got New favorites still with us, like Steve Balboni, Major League uh, legend Steve Balboni still checking in. Uh, folks like Grandmaster Grandpa, who've, who've emerged over the last few months, they're still with us. So the best of the old, the best of the new, all together in one great, just monstrous um, podcast epic. So please check it out. Um, I will not spoil spoil the first episode for you. You can go listen to it for yourself. But I will, I do want to address one topic that was uh, covered on the first episode, because it was weirdly like a parallel lives kind of thing, because I'd had, had this almost exact experience. So it was funny to hear Icy Robots talk about it, although he actually took his to the finish line. And so we're going to do that here online on our show today. But let me, ta- let me explain what I'm talking about. On the recently released, <clears throat> excuse me, first episode of the world's famous Icy Robots show, uh, ISR talks about wanting to get a new baseball hat, but not knowing um, necessarily what kind of hat he wants to get, like what he wants displayed on the hat. Um, and because it's like, does he want a sports team? Does he want just like a hat with a Nike logo? What does he want? And I've had this problem before too with baseball hats because I have. Um, in my own collection of baseball hats, let's see, I have an Oakland A's hat, I have an Oakland Raiders hat, uh, I used to have a Los Angeles Raiders hat, but that one finally bit the dust. I have a hat that I bought at the uh, Seattle Pop Culture Museum uh, that's a mesh kind of trucker hat that says D&D on it, and kind of the old school D&D logo, where like the and is, is like a dragon breathing out fire or some such. Uh, what else do I have? I have a New Japan pro wrestling baseball hat. Uh, I think that's about all I've got in my collection at the moment. Not that I'm a baseball hat collector, but I just, they're good to have in rotation. You know, you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like running a comb through the mop. You just throw on a baseball hat, you're good to go. But it's like, if you want 
to have a variety of, of, of hat looks and also hats do wear out eventually. Like, what do you get? Do you just get the same same hat from the same team over and over and over again? Well, that gets boring. But then what do you get? It's, and it's not like good baseball hat designs are uh, growing on trees, as it were. So um, IC Robots came to the solution of getting a hat for a professional baseball team out of the Nippon Professional Baseball League. I think that's what it's called. Is that what the... Yes, Nippon Professional Baseball. That's the, the highest level of baseball in Japan. Uh, he decided to get a hat from one of their teams, and he ended up getting a baseball hat from... Uh, they're called the Yomiuri Giants. They're kind of the Yankees of... Uh, they are Japanese professional baseball. Just like the Yankees are... Major League Baseball, apologies to Yankees haters. I don't particularly like the Yankees myself, but when you look at the history of baseball in America, you have to accept the fact that the Yankees are sort of the keystone team. Um, much in the same way, the Yomiuri Giants are the keystone team of the Nippon League. Um, so IC Robots very um, laudably purchased one of their hats, and that was his hat solution. Now, I have found myself in this exact same position before wanting to get a new baseball hat, not knowing what kind to get, and looking toward the Nippon Baseball League for inspiration. And I have come so close, so close to clicking on one of those Yomiuri Giants hats, but I've just never been able to quite pull the trigger. And part of it is just the fact that they share the um, colors with the San Francisco Giants, and Icy Robots had perfect, like, great justification for this on his uh, show. We're both not exactly fans of the San Francisco Giants. And I do understand, and I don't think that the shared colors and the shared name, Giants name, are a reason to not get the hat. But for whatever reason, I've just it, it's given me enough pause that I've got, gotten distracted and I haven't done the transaction. But there's one other Nippon team that's been on my radar, and I've always meant to get one of their hats, and we're going to do it right here, right now, on the show. This team is the Hanshin Tigers. Um, occasionally in their history known as the Osaka Tigers. They are generally from an area kind of near, kind of including the region that, that, that houses the city of Osaka. This team came on my radar because there used to be a Japanese um, professional wrestling promotion. I think it might still exist in a very diminished form, but um, Osaka Pro Wrestling, O-Pro. Uh, they kind of had their heyday in, let's see here... Um, Per the Google machine, they were founded in 98. So yeah, late 90s, early aughts. Um, they were a very kind of circusy sort of wrestling promotion. A, a small roster of guys. They were all kind of smaller, flippy dudes or like Lucha-style masks. The whole promotion was founded by and kind of centered around a guy named uh, Super Delphin, who was a masked kind of Lucha-style, which is like Mexican wrestling-style, uh, yet Japanese wrestler. Um, but anyway... In the, I think it came out around 2005, at least in America, in the PlayStation 2 iteration of the Fire Pro Wrestling video game franchise, Fire Pro Returns. Uh, this game came with like hundreds of wrestlers on its roster, all with um, names slightly altered from their real life names to skirt copyright uh, rules because they weren't licensed, but you, you knew who they were and you could change the names. We've talked about this before. But anyway, the whole O-Pro, Osaka Pro roster was in that game. And uh, they had one guy on their roster who was named Tiger's Mask. Not Tiger Mask. There's a very famous Japanese pro wrestling character, 
Tiger Mask, who has been portrayed by an, a few different uh, wrestlers over the course of the character's history. It's originally an anime character. New Japan licensed it and had a, had a guy dress up as Tiger Mask. So it was a crossover with the cartoon. Um, this was Tigers with an S mask. And what it was, is it was supposed to be a play on the idea of Tiger Mask, but it was a guy who's basically dressed up in a Hanshin Tigers uh, outfit, um, baseball player outfit, yet with a, a Tiger Mask knockoff mask and a baseball hat. Anyway, this is how the Hanshin Tigers first came on my radar. And while they are nowhere near as impressive as the Yomiuri Giants, because I think they're kind of a lovable loser, bad news bears uh, type team, um... I guess that's just as good a shtick as being like the the kings of of uh, the Nippon League to be like the kind of like clown princes of the Nippon League that had a had a local pro wrestler even doing shtick about them. So anyway, I, I'm claiming Hanshin Tigers, and let's see what we can find as far as baseball caps go. Let's see Hanshin Tigers baseball cap. Putting that in the Google machine, and we see... Wow, I think this is the very same website that uh, Icy Robots described getting his Yomiuri Giants hat from. This is American Needle. That sounds familiar. Uh, maybe I'm just remembering it from something else. Anyway, there are five different Hanshin Tigers hats here at least, all in the $25 to $30 range. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to go with this... Um, Flat brim, kind of tweed gray looking one with the circular logo, uh, with a snapback uh, brim. I'm gonna put it in the cart, I'm gonna add to the cart, and I'm going to enter my information at checkout, and clickety-click, clickety-clack, order, boom, just like that. So thank you, ISR, for inspiring me to join the legions of fans out there in the world sporting, proudly sporting, Nippon League baseball gear. We'll be right back to talk about sim cues and the inability to get anything done as a middle-aged person. On the Mr. Sensational Gina Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Episode 44 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. It's funny, I've been going through a phase, uh, a slump recently where I was thinking I was running out of stuff to talk about on the show. And suddenly I found myself in a position where I don't even have time to talk about all the things I intended to talk about. So a couple topics uh, we're going to have to kick on down the road. I, I have uh, some more on our, our friend of the show, t at Teen Wundle over on Twitter. I've got some words for him, but that'll have to wait till next episode. In the meantime, we're going to talk today about um, the this this issue of not enough hours in the day, not enough time to finish all the things we want to finish, about being like five steps behind, and how, how this predicament, at least in my case, kind of snuck up on a person, um, even though it was foreshadowed um, before it actually happened. Um, what I mean is that there was a time in my life where I feel like there was no issue ever with getting anything done. In fact, life was nothing but time. And then one day I woke up 
and I couldn't get anything done. And I felt the time slipping from my fingers like sand from the uh, hourglass. All we are is dust in the wind. Or I, I don't know that song enough to do a good rendition of it. But isn't there some dust in the wind song, right? Uh, yeah, but this is a tale that begins back around the year 2000. Remember that was when that was a, wasn't that a Conan O'Brien bit? In the year 2000, in the year 2000. I used to watch, I used to watch late night shows. I used to watch Conan. I, I never watched it. Well, I guess I don't have cable anymore. So that would kind of preclude being able to watch those. I mean, I'm sure I could find them somewhere out there in the ether, but I just did. It's not, the, the world has changed. Um, again, not enough time. Um, anyway, back around 2000, I was um, fixing to move from Santa Rosa, California to San Jose, California. I had actually moved to San Jose once already with Ms. S, Ms. Sensational, my wife, before we were married. We split up for the final time in our history before finally uh, getting married and not splitting up again since. Um, but so yeah, in 99, I had moved from San Jose where we'd moved to together back to Santa Rosa for a year. What, where we were apart, we had decided to move back in together. And so 2000 saw me moving back to San Jose. But anyway, in the course of moving back to, uh, San Jose, I was trying to get my items and objects that I owned on my own in order to reintegrate back into our communal house. And I was kind of looking at um, stuff that um, I didn't need anymore and or st at the same time stuff that we needed now that we we're going to be living together once again as a unit. And part of what has always been important for our life living together in the many years and different iterations that we have lived together is, uh, let's see, how do I put it this? I'm always very perplexed by this idea of couples. And again, folks' mileage varies greatly. And so this is just from my perspective, my experience, as always, your experiences may be different, but I'm always quite perplexed by couples that seem to want to live in this perpetual um, uh, adversarial state where like, I'm my own person happening to live in the same dwelling as this other person with all my own stuff versus all their stuff and everything's at odds. And like, I keep a tally of how many chores they do and I use that against them and they do the same for me. And I keep a tally of how often I get to do what I want to do. And then that, that informs how much the other person does or doesn't get to do what they want to do. I don't, that all that stuff makes my head hurt. Uh, to me, domestic bliss, familial bliss for our particular family is having a situation where all four of us, in our case, are able to hang out in the dwelling, hang out in the manor, each doing their own thing in the company of each. So enjoying each other's presence, but also just getting our own individual groove on. So it's the best of all worlds. It's you, you do your thing in synthesis with everyone else doing their thing, and we can all enjoy being together as one yet many, uh, whatever. Um, so when it comes to Ms. S and myself and our leisure time, this typically takes the form of um, assuming we're not doing something uh, in the great outdoors, like walking or hiking or whatnot. Um, another topic I wanted to talk about, but we'll talk about 
at a later date. In any, in any case, if we're at home sitting around in the house, say on a Friday night at like 11 o'clock at night, uh, th- this often takes the form of each of us doing our own thing screen-wise. Like she might be watching something on her tablet while I'm playing a video game, or I'm messing around with something on my laptop while while she's watching some other show. Every so often our interests intersect and we will consume some type of media together, but we don't have to do this. We're also happy to do our own thing and let the other one do theirs. Um, And this dates back, gosh, to like 1995, 96 of us originally living together. Um, A little more communal back then as far as what we were doing, just because media was different. Like you'd have to like rent a bunch of movies and watch the same stuff on the same TV, but you know, things have changed a little bit in that, in that regard. Um, but so back in 2000 on the eve of moving back, I was looking at, um, packing up my video games and which ones I was going to play when I got back. And I was kind of keeping an eye out for anything she might be interested in. Because again, part of this relationship lifestyle that I'm describing we often have a pulse or finger on the pulse of what the other person likes. We can give them recommendations because it's like we are looking to establish this blissful time among one another, but all doing our own thing that we all want to do. So n- none of that man cave nonsense. Um, live your life out in the open and you shouldn't feel ashamed about it. And you should all be able to uh, enjoy having a good time. Anyway, I happen to notice that there was this new computer game coming out um, called The Sims, uh, brought to you by Electronic Arts, and it was kind of an offshoot of the long-tenured game franchise up to that point, Sim City. Now, Ms. S had been a huge fan of Sim City, and Sim City actually helped inform what she ended up doing with her life professionally because she went into the field of urban planning, and it was really playing Sim City that got her interested in, in the idea. Um, no joke. But anyway, I had noticed that there was this game, The Sims, coming out. I figured it would be up her alley. I also knew she had just purchased a new um, Windows laptop for graduate school, and it would probably be able to play this game. So I was like, hey, uh, you might want to check this game out. And she agreed. She thought it sounded very interesting. So when I moved back in, she had already purchased this game, The Sims, and was starting to play it on her PC laptop. Again, uh, no trigger to mutants out there by PC. I mean, personal computer. Um, So I, too, wanted to take a crack at The Sims because while I was never as much of an aficionado of SimCity as Ms. S was, I did enjoy playing it. it. And uh, so kind of the same thing happened with The Sims. I I gave it a whirl a few times on my own. She was off doing something else. And I liked it okay. I I did not stick with it as long as she did. She stuck with it through several franchise iterations. She played Sims 2 as well. Maybe 3. I think it's on 4 now. The kids play 4. She long since has uh, moved on to other pastures, other uh, pursuits. But um, I stuck with that original iteration. I tried playing 2, and 2 had this much-vaunted soundtrack by that guy who was Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. And I like Devo okay. Um, but I really think that the original scoring was so much better and it never really recovered um, that feel. But that's a very nostalgic feel to me, too, because it evokes a very specific time and place in my life. So maybe it isn't Mark Mothersbaugh's fault. Maybe it's just my own nostalgic issues, my own uh, hang up and, and inability to evolve and accept change. But anyway, um, my thing with this game, The Sims, is um, 
you create these fake people, these Sims, and you control their life, and uh, you have to keep them happy. And their happiness is dependent on really basic elemental things, like whether they've eaten, if they need to go to the bathroom, and then kind of more long-term existential things like career happiness, uh, relationship happiness, etc. And you have to make choices, you have to move them around, you have to have them take actions in order to keep all these meters uh, high and to move them along in their life. Um, but part of the game mechanic is you have something called a sim queue in which you queue up actions um, for your sim to do next. And if you don't manage the queue, the sim starts to get a mind of its own and do its own things, which can sometimes lead to calamity. So you, you have to keep on top of this queue. And the game may have changed over the years, so I apologize if this is outmoded, but this is how the original version of The Sims worked. And I remember feeling so frustrated with this game because my guy would need to use a bathroom, my guy would need to bathe, my guy would need to make breakfast, my guy would need to read the newspaper, look for jobs, my guy would need to go interview for a job, and then he'd get home and the day would already be over and he'd need, he would need to sleep, he would have no energy left in his meter, but he'd be all pissed off because his happiness quotient was down because I hadn't I had him do anything that was fun, and it's like, why would he already be tired? He should just be able to do something that's fun. This made no sense to me. I had no understanding of the fact that you would run out of time in life because I think I was, let's see, in 2000, I would have been, God, my math is so atrocious that I can't just do this in my head. Apologies to engineer nerd. It's 2021 uh, minus 2000. So that was 21 years ago. And I'm, let's say I'm 40, I'm turning 45 this year. So 45 minus 21. I was either 23 or 24. So while I certainly had responsibilities in life at that point, you know, I had to, I had to work, um, I think I was working at Starbucks at that time. I went to, I was going to school minimally. I had to do those things and it was annoying to be there. But then when I came home, I just did what I wanted to do and stayed up all night and maybe I had to clean up a couple dishes, but you know, there just wasn't that much going on responsibility wise. I, I, I didn't feel this feeling of urgency that was depicted in the Sims, this feeling of running out of ability to accomplish in a day what you need or want to accomplish. Or if you want to have fun, then, then you have to sacrifice, um, all your responsibility stuff. Or if you want to be responsible, then you're angry because you had no fun. Th this was very alien to me and also just felt so cloying and just, and, and just, uh, it was just a downer. It kind of made me not want to play The Sims because this is too frustrating. And it's interesting because the first time that I really started to realize what a realistic did you, did you catch that? Really realize realistic. Uh, is that an alliteration? Anyway, um, when I started to really realize how realistic this Sims dilemma was, as one gets older in life and acquires more and more responsibilities and chores and so on and so forth, was a few years later when Ms. S and I were now living in Oakland, California. And I had started playing another type of simulation game on my PC laptop at the time, uh, tr trigger warning or trigger deflection, personal computer, my personal computer laptop. Um, I guess it's funny. I, personal computer means Windows, I guess, right? In this day and age, it means not, not Mac, not Apple. Anyway, um, I started playing this game called Extreme Warfare Revenge. And Extreme Warfare Revenge was a very crude... I think it was like a shareware game, um, text-based game um, that was a wrestling promotion simulator. And the way this game worked is the creator had 
programmed in all at the time the major real life wrestling promotions and their rosters and each wrestler on the roster had different stats like as far as how entertaining they were how much money they would want for a contract how many years they'd want to be under contract uh so on and so forth and basically the goal of the game was to run a wrestling promotion sign wrestlers put on shows make enough money to grow your promotion keep it afloat keep it profitable so it was a it was a, a wrestling promoter sim game and i just became enthralled with this game because it pretty much hit every note of what just kind of captured my interest in professional wrestling. Um, seeing what would happen if you could put on the cards of your own dreams. If you, if you, there's a lot of in wrestling fandom, there's a lot of complaining and whining about what actual real life promoters do and the product they put on. But here was your chance to give it a go and see what your vision um, would elicit as far as as far as audience reaction and profitability in this simulated world of extreme warfare revenge. Um, and uh, I always had middling success with this game because the game was pretty much programmed in such a way it was skewed toward a certain style of wrestler. Um, it was skewed towards kind of... Um, essentially, it, it foresaw what would become of wrestling uh, in the future. And we see it in what wrestling exists, exists as today um, in that the game highly favored sort of uh, moves, heavy flip, heavy uh, quote unquote, good work type wrestlers over more narrative based storyline um, uh, promo wrestlers. So like if you put a bunch of flippy guys together, that could do, uh, kind of um, stunt style moves. You tended to have good shows, but if you brought in, hey, yo, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you, your promotion would tank, which I guess kind of happened in real life with those guys for a variety of reasons. But I, you know, I was an NWO guy. I was a Scott Hall guy. I didn't care if you could do a 480 off a cage onto 2000 tables. I mean, I, get, don't get me wrong. I like good move wrestling as much as the next guy, but I, I fundamentally have always been a story guy in wrestling. I like, I like, sports stories. I, I like, do I care who wins? Do I care who loses? Do I want to see one guy win? Do I want to see who's going to emerge victorious? Do I want a surprise entrant? That kind of stuff is always primary to me. Good moves, quote unquote, is secondary. But in any case, I was not the greatest promoter, promoter in the world in uh, Extreme Warfare Revenge. I think I leaned a little too heavily and wanted to always push Scott Hall as my guy. But such as it is, um, the thing that started to drive me nuts about that game though is you know it was quite time consuming as far as setting everything up because you had to go through all these different menus to sign your different guys to plan things out to input in who you wanted to have match with who etc etc and i realized i love playing this game but every time i sit down to play this game i look down at the screen i look up at the clock and like five hours have passed and i am just uh um in a bad place because I didn't do like all this other stuff I was supposed to do. And I, now I'm just sitting here like a mess after playing extreme warfare revenge and there's dishes piling up and I haven't bathed and I, Oh my God, my SIM queue is full. Um, all of a sudden it hit me and that I must've been like about, uh, you know, it wasn't that much longer after the Sims. I couldn't have been any older than like, uh, 26, 27. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden it came crashing down that like, my God, life has changed. You can't just sit here 
and play a simulation game from sunup to sundown with no consequences. There are now real-world consequences. There's a finite amount of time. Don't even factor in, uh, essentially, because this part didn't come until like probably five years after that. At a certain point, you also have to start factoring mortality. Like, like not only do I not have enough hours in the day, but I don't have necessarily enough years in the life. Like, that's ticking off too. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Ah! Whew! Um, so anyway, Electronic Arts and The Sims did have a lesson to teach me. A lesson that seemed so absurd at the time, but so real when bookended by Extreme Warfare Revenge. So where does this leave us? I guess this leaves us with the fact that, uh, you know, you try to squeeze the most out of every day, but you have to realize you're not going to get it all done ever. So you got to kind of live that life too and enjoy that life as best as you can as you live it. Because if you live entirely in the sim queue and entirely in its limitations, and allow those limitations to define you, you're not going to be a happy sim. And in fact, you're going to be a sim, which is an inherently unhappy existence. Just go read any number of Philip K. Dick novels to find out. And with that, folks, I'm going to leave you to lead your own unsim, very real, very authentic lives out there. I will be back next week with more We've got plenty to talk about, it seems, more than I was able to get to on this episode. Hopefully I'll remember it next week and we can revisit it some of, the, some of it then. I'll have more for you about my ongoing uh, life with uh, at Teen Wundle. Maybe we can talk some hiking. Maybe we can talk circuses. I mentioned Osaka Pro being circus-like. I, that's, uh, talking about circuses is on the docket one of these days. Whatever happened to circuses? I have my own circus memories from my youth. We'll get to circuses one of these days. But in the meantime, folks, for the ICU Robots Radio Network, here on episode 44 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off. <laughs>